You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to... Another edition of More Than a White Man's Game, a baseball podcast on the House of L Network. I am your host, Maddie Lee, and this week I have on Cheryl Ray Stout. She's a sports reporter, covers all the major sports in Chicago for WBEZ, and she's awesome. She's been such a mentor to me since I've come here uh, and gotten to know her through covering the Cubs, and I knew that she would be an awesome guest because this is what she does, and she has some incredible stories. Talking with her for this podcast was even more entertaining than I even anticipated, which was already a high bar. She went no holds barred, awesome stories. She has such a wealth of knowledge on the subject of really every sport in this city, but we we focused on the two baseball teams, and man, I'm sure we could have gone on for hours with the number of incredible and hilarious and every other adjective you could describe stories as, so I'll definitely have her on again for sure. was already planning on that. Now it's a thousand percent solidified. Have to have her on again for more of her incredible stories. Uh, So I'll just get right to it and let her take away the show because she's fascinating and lovely and we'll bring in Cheryl. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your busy schedule to chat. I really appreciate it. Anytime with you, Maddie. It's always a pleasure to talk to you at the ballpark, and this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I know this has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to have you on for a while now, and this felt like a a good window. Um, I want to spend most of this talking about your stories from White Sox and Cubs over the years, but let's start by laying kind of the media scene from when you broke in, because you've been in Chicago sports radio since 1979. Is that right? Well, the sports actually was a little bit later, but I know I was in radio 1979. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting path because for me, there was very few women 
that were even in media, let alone sports. And so, you know, I was lucky to, to see a Jeannie Morris doing television and people like her. But when I started, when I was going to Columbia College and getting my degree and deciding to go into radio, because I had a theater background and I also played sports, could not play Little League, could not play college because Title IX happened the year after I graduated from high school and I skipped a grade. Bad timing. <laughs> but but going to MAQ Radio, we uh, when I started there, I was a, a producer uh, for the afternoon, for the midday show, and that was a, a country western, it was a bizarre situation, but I, it was great because it was a great foundation to learn radio. And then they, the, they acquired the sports teams, they acquired the White Sox, they acquired the Bulls, they acquired Illinois uh, basketball and football. Uh, we had NBC Monday Night Football on our air. So I was able to get immersed in that. We also did a show with a manager from the White Sox, Tony LaRusso, and I was his producer. And uh, so it was kind of kind of interesting moment for me, you know, full circle. <laughs> I'm with Tony again. But um, we had an all-sport, we had a talk show called Copic on Sports, and I was tapped to be the executive producer. And the my and I have to say, I have to really be grateful to management. I had a news director in Tom Webb, I had a program director, one with Ted Kramer, and then with Bill Camp Gamble, who really elevated me into the situation. And Chet really wasn't, he didn't know me. And I was made his producer and he didn't know me. And I heard him on the phone going, yeah, I got some broad doing it for me. <laughs> so, um, but, but that evolved. I mean, it kept evolving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was called worse by other guys that I worked with too. So I'll take the broad rather than the C word I got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Any day. laughs> um, what's it been like now covering Tony Larusa again? You know what? I, you know, I, I, you know, it was, it was great for me because I'm one of the few, there's only a couple of us that even knew Tony from before. And um, it, it's, it's just interesting because of course he's a little older older like I'm a little older um and and the thing is is that a lot of people that didn't know him were making all sorts of evaluations about him without knowing him and the fact is I have that background and I know him and I'll and I'll tell you the story about him when I first started going in the locker room being the only woman going in the locker room he took me to all the security guards because at that time you had a press credential that had no picture on it. Sometimes it didn't have your name. It just said the affiliate. So that's all you had. And so he took me to all the security guards and he said, do not give her a hard time. You make sure that she gets in the locker room because they were the first people that you would be stopped by and prohibited from going in. And he made sure I got in. Now, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen a lot like that back then. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and I'm sure you had plenty of people giving you flack about is this really yours well you know i learned i learned early what i had to do in order to make it work one i couldn't show my emotions i had to keep that in check two i learned early that you do individual one on one so they knew you, they knew them. And it, back then, particularly with young players, 
who never had women at all in the minor leagues or high school or anything like that, I had to, I would bring them into the dugout first and talk to them and said, look, I'm going to be in the locker room after the game. I will not talk to you without clothes on. I promise you that. However, I will be there. I'll ask questions. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. And once I did that, the word gets around that, okay, she's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and it did help them because, you know, it, I, I always try to put myself in their cleats to figure out, you know, okay, what, what can I do to make this easier for them, but for me too. Right. And it wasn't always easy. Yeah. I mean, you're just watching you work. I haven't gotten to see you watch a clubhouse yet because of <laughs> COVID circumstances, but watching you just even on Zooms or or interacting with players on the field, you're so good at making those like personal connections. What what do you think having to go that extra mile early on in your career? Because, you know, I've never had to do that because guys obviously don't see as many women as men in a locker room, but they've always seen a couple uh, mm-hmm. in their careers. Like, what do you think? How do you think that, I guess, maybe altered your approach or set you up for, for how you approach your job? Because I had to do it the way I had to do it, you know, and, and, and and I'll take you back when I was producing the talk show mm-hmm. and I was working with these gentlemen in my office and they gave me, they say, Hey, we want you to call X. I won't say who it is. I didn't know this person personally, of course. And I found out that he was not a faithful person. So when I called up, the wife answered the phone and she started screaming at me. There's no women that, you know, you're, you're lying. You're just trying to get, and then I realized they, the guy set me up. And at that point, I knew that I had to do it differently. So I had to learn about them. And so what I learned after that was I had a Rolodex. This is old time Rolodex. And I would have the phone number, but I also have the name of the wife, children, or any type of information like that. Because that connection, it, it, it took the guard down in a good way. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to talk to them and understand, look, I'm not here for any other reason than to talk to your husband. And sometimes the wives helped me out break stories too. So that was great. But but that was my way. And then you know what? I I, I liked having that type of rapport. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk, you know, Maddie, when you talk to somebody and they 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 trust you, they'll tell you things. I mean, I would get phone calls or I get a player in any sport will pull me aside and say, I want to tell you this. And if depending on if it's on the record or off the record, sometimes it was just information that helped me build a story and several times break a story. Did you ever feel pressure to change the way you report, to go about it a different way? Because hell no. <laughs> hell no. No. No, I, you know, I mean, I could, I, when I need to, and I had to like uh, t- today to, to answer ask a question that the person didn't like me ask, but I had to ask it. I can change to being a hard ass reporter if I have to be. And I've also learned that you don't have to ask a five minute question to get the answer. You want to get, get your question out, 
get the answer, listen to the answer to get your, you know, your follow-up. That was, that's always been my rapport. Yeah. And then if you've already built that rapport with the players or whoever you might be talking to, they're more willing to answer the hard questions too. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny when, you know, and I, and I've also learned that sometimes players would react better to a woman than a man anyway. Yeah. You know, they, they, they know we have more empathy. How much empathy do you see with male reporters, Maddie? (laughs) Yeah. there's quite a there's quite a spectrum right where there's certain guys who you pick out and you're and uh you're like oh yeah this guy very much approaches his job in a similar way to to i'm to the way that i might approach a question or something um and then obviously there's there's the opposite end of the spectrum right pros and cons (laughs) to both well, I know I drive people crazy on the Zoom when I'll say, how are you doing today? And I also say, thank you. That's something that I, I, it's always been in my head and I pounded into my son's head. So if I pounded into his head, I got to keep doing it. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just part of me. And some people don't like it. Some people don't like the fact that, you know, like in the locker room, I'll approach a player and I'll, you know, start, I'll talk to him a little bit like, you know, what we've been talking about, and then start really the interview process after that. Because you warm somebody up. Right. How many people want, like, having microphones thrust in their faces without any type of, I don't know, breaking that barrier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and frankly, I don't like just going in and you know, being completely business-like and, all right, we're checking off these questions. <laughs> I mean, our our job, right, is to to bring these personalities and stuff to the fans. And you can't do that if you don't know what the personalities are in the first place. Right. And, 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 that's, and, and I think that's part of our ability to bring to the viewers, the listeners, and the readers is they need not just the scores or the launch angle or, you know, they want to know about these people, not, not, not personal, personal stuff, but they want to know what makes them tick. They want to know, maybe they, you know, like I would say to a player early in my career, you know, and I'd say, look, a lot of times I'm going over three, what I'm doing. So I understand what you're going through, but tell me why you went over three. (laughs) That's awesome. Just to look, if you're looking back at all the years, and I guess currently, um, all the years that you've covered the Cubs and White Sox, if you had to pick out a moment from each team that you covered, what would be your favorite? Is it as simple as going back to the World Series coverage or something else stand out? I, I'm going to tell you, the World Series in its not wasn't the games for either one of them. There's something I, you know, I get emotional when I think about, about both of them because my grandfather came from Poland back at the turn of the 19th century. And he was a coal truck driver. And he used to deliver coal to Wrigley Field and Comiskey Park. Wow. He, he didn't speak English for a while. He eventually learned, he only had a fourth grade education. Mm-hmm. And he ended up learning several languages. But baseball was his thing. And so... 
the first time I got to step foot on a baseball field outside of being a fan, that was magic. And I just looked up because he was been passed away for a long time. And I looked up and go, oh, Grandpa, I'm here, <laughs> you know, where you would want to be. Mm. But the reason why I bring that up is because when I was with the White Sox when they won the World Series in 2005, yeah, the games were great, you know, we've seen great stuff. But I also have a friend who is a retired judge in, from Rolling Meadows. His name is Nick Primero. He's, he's blind. And he's a huge White Sox fan. Big White Sox fan. Back when I went to his son's wedding, they had White Sox stuff all over the place. It was that huge. So whenever I traveled covering stuff, I always like to bring back the people that are close to me, they're real fans. I bring back a program. I bring back the notes or I bring you know, something back. But he's blind. And after I finished doing all the work on the field and I had to, uh, you know, um, finish up, and I thought, what can I bring Judge Nick back? What can I bring him back? And I said, I got it. So I walked back into the locker room and I picked something up. And then I had a red eye, which somehow I always had goddamn red eyes. <laughs> back the next day. And I called them up. I said, Judge, I have something for you. I'm going to come to your house and give it to you. So I went to his house and I said, please put out your hand. Put out his hand, and I put it in his hand, what I got him. And he took it, and he smelled it, and he felt it. He said, is this what I think it is? I said, yeah. It was a cork from the champagne bottle. Oh, my gosh. So he could feel it. He could smell it, you know. And so that's the type of things that I remember. And then with the Cubs, it was the whole craziness of who, you know, who was going to win that game because of the rain delay. And when we were waiting to go in, it was funny watching the Cleveland um, people taking the champagne and the uh, merchandise and moving it back and forth between <laughs> the tapes. You know? I mean, you know, I, I just said, I mean, you know, if the fans ever saw this stuff, they wouldn't believe it. But going in that locker room and it was because of such tight quarters. Mm -hmm. And it was just really, you know, to see Anthony Rizzo, who I was, I, I knew him from the time he was with the, 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 the Cubs from all the, you know, the things he went through and seeing his face and seeing the players, just the relief, the happiness, the grandeur of it. And it, it you know, Again, with both the White Sox and the Cubs, it just made me think of my grandfather. And both times I visited his grave and I put something on his grave about, you know, the World Series because it meant that much to him. And that's why it means so much to me. I love that. That's I'm, I'm welling up over here. <laughs> um, you mentioned Anthony Rizzo and, and his journey and being there from the time that he was so young. Who who have been your favorite players to cover and and why? There's lots. There's lots. There's lots and lots and lots. I mean, I love. I mean, Andre Dawson, stoic, but he had a great sense of humor, and he did something at one of the fan so the media social. It was a media social actually. That's the way it was labeled at the hotel, and there was a bunch of you know we were doing an interview. I was doing an interview with him. 
And these kids inter- interrupted and thrust a ball in a, in, a, in a pen at him to sign. And I just, you know, I stepped back and everything. And he goes, this was supposed to be for you guys. And I looked at him. I'm going, thank you. <laughs> you realize that, you know, I was like, so, I mean, when you, when you get that, t- when you get that breakthrough for a player realizes what you're doing, like Andre did, you appreciate that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Kyle Hendricks fan. I just think he's just one of the coolest dudes to talk to, you know, because he's so smart and he's so genuine and comfortable with his skin. Um, there, Mark Grace was, was a gasp because he talked all the time. He went in that locker room, wins or losses, he was there with his cigarette. He would try to hide his cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you, we had players like that to deal with uh, on, the, on, on the north side of town. Um, I loved Dusty Baker. I will, I will, I, I believe Dusty Baker is a better person than people realize. And this past week, and I found out that, uh, Ricky Renteria, who I really, uh, I, I really respect after he lost the job with the White Sox, Dusty Baker, who never met or never knew, never knew Ricky called up. Ricky to talk to him after he got fired because he knows how, how he got drummed out of the Cubs. And he said to him, you belong in baseball, your type of managing style belongs in baseball. And, and that to me, that means a lot that somebody could do that. So, you know, I, I look at them a lot of ways like that. Uh, the, the White Sox, Carlton Fisk was my, one of my favorite players as a, as a player. So the first time I had to go cover him, I'll never forget this. And I mean, he's a big man. He's an imposing man. And he stands there with his arms crossed. And I have my mic. And somehow I'm like trying not to shake my hands. Because he, and he goes, what do you want? You know, and I'm going, I just want to ask you a question. And all of a sudden he, he relaxed and he was cool. I mean, he was funny <laughs> after that. You know, he was just testing me. And I didn't take offense to it. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, that type of thing. And, and the funniest things now, when I see, I, when we, we, we had a great rapport. He was one of those guys that would, he actually, he called me over just before Jeff Torber left the, the White Sox. And he says, Cheryl, come here, I got to talk to you. What's going on with him? What are you, what are you hearing? He wanted me to tell him what I was hearing, you know? So there's players like that, that, um, I mean, God, I appreciate so many of them. You know, I, 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 I like, I love, watching the Jose Abreu's mm-hmm. commanding that locker room and all the players that come to him for advice or just being there and stuff like that. But the player presently right now that he's not with the team, but I just find absolutely the most fun is Aloy Menace. Mm. The joy in his face. When he, even on the zoom calls, he, he he's, he's a must see, you know, he'll just, he just embraced the game the way it was meant to be. You play. You should never play left field again, but. <laughs> <laughs> but. Just love it. <laughs> right? He loves the game and he loves life and you could feel it. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I'm going on, but there's so many players that I just, I've been very fortunate. And there's some that I will always keep thought about because they were asses yeah for sure I know it's one of those things where 
people ask me all the time about, you know, oh, what team are you a fan of? Like, you can't be a fan. A, you can't be a fan for ethical reasons. But then B, once you see how the sausage is made, so to speak, it it's impossible. You You get getting to know these guys behind closed doors makes you really appreciate some of them in a different kind of way and makes you all like you just said also i'm i'm good good on that one i mean you know and 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 the thing is when i've had bad rapports with some relationship or not having one at all i don't like to let people know that yeah because um Sports to me, particularly baseball, it's 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 a in a way it's kind of like a dream come true for some people to you know like they they want it to be what it is. So sometimes they don't want to know how the sausage is made. They just want to know can they eat the sausage? Do they get food poisoning? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important. Um, I, I I think unless they do something criminal, unless yeah. they you know. I, that has to come out. I mean, what, what what was going on with Addison Russell? That had to come out, and and I think um, there should have been more acknowledgement at the time how bad that was. They eventually did, but I mean, it just it 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 just went right into my my soul hearing what he did and how he did it, and and I and I think. That type of stuff, we have to, we definitely have to bear it out. We definitely have to bring to the surface, but we don't have to know about, and I, you know, like right now, what the story that really kind of makes me call is having to hear about Ben Zobra's divorce. I was just thinking about that. Oh, I've gone through a divorce. You, it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Where. There are some things that are private matters, and yes, it's playing out in a very public way, and he's a public figure, but it—he's not—he's not playing anymore. <laughs> it's not affecting any of these teams. He didn't—he didn't do anything criminal, and he was really, really great to deal with. Um, when when the, it was 2017. When all the players that got elected to, and they got uh, into the uh, All Star game, and he was one of them. And I, I had asked him because I used to do real nice long one on ones, and I had asked him to do a one on one that that week. And we scheduled it the day, and he couldn't. He came up to me. I was ready to do it. He goes, "I can't do it today. Can we do it tomorrow?" I said, "Yeah." But you never, you know. You, you you know that can happen, and you don't take any offense to it. The next day was when they were announcing who the All-Stars were, and they were letting the media know ahead of time so they could, you know, it was embargoed, but they were going to be able to get that, those interviews. And I was standing off to the side, and the other reporter's there, and Ben goes to me, he goes, he said to the other reporter, he goes, no, I promised an interview with her. I'm doing that first. You know, he didn't have to do that, but he did. So. You know, when I hear this other stuff, I'm going, you know, I, I can't, I just, it just kind of goes against my grain. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there has to be, and the the messy part of media, right, is of course it's generating all these page views and stuff. And I know that there's a business model, but there's there's also people, and their and their lives. And uh, yeah, like you said, a divorce at all is a really hard thing to go through. Social media's done that. That's what social media's done. So there's a lot of good for social media. I think, I think, I think getting information out, but the CD side of it, you know, <laughs> yeah, just a constant churn of, <laughs> the only good thing about social media is that's one, that is one of the ways that I can have contact with my family. <laughs> it's like, okay, no more phone calls. Just, you know, Send me a message through Facebook or <laughs> you could text me, but <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so we've talked about some of the great teams that you've covered. What about when you look Cubs and White Sox have both had some pretty rough stretches. When you look back to those, like what, what moments or stories stand out to you from there? God, there's been some bad ones. <laughs> I mean, I never felt so sorry than I did for Dale Swain and Ricky Renteria, what they went through, you know, the, the final steps before prosperity and watching, you know, Ricky, Ricky was, was really, you know, in 2014, um, he, he, he had certain things that he had to do and that was to, you know, get Anthony Rizzo on track, Starlin Castro on track, you know, work with some of these, you know, pitchers that they had. And then they trade away the start, starters on July 4th of all days, right? And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> how worse can it get? And, and Dale Swain, I mean, you know, you look at the roster you had and you go, oh my God, what is this? So we, we, those were those were rough. Those were rough years. And, and the White Sox, um, they had some really rough ones um, in in the 80s after they had their success and after they mistakenly fired Tony Larusa because well, you, the worst year was 1986 with the White Sox. Far none. That was Hawk Harrelson's one and only year as general manager. That should never have happened. It was horrible. It was the, the interesting thing was um, I was working at MAQ Radio at the time, and we had the White Sox. And so the, the, the interesting challenge you have when you work for a station to rights holders is the team that has that you have the rights, holder, rights with think that you owe them everything. And you don't. You still have to be journalists about it. But we, um, 
we had a reporter that we had sent to the hotel that the Yankees were at because Billy Martin was in the bar there. We got a tip. And so we sent a reporter there. And Billy told him that uh, Hawk Harrelson was already talking to him about Tony Lewis's job, but Tony hadn't been fired. (laughs) You can't top that. So I was covering the game that night and Hawk had to do a press conference during the game about that. I mean, that, that, that was insane. It was insane. And, and, and the player that he traded at the trading deadline was Bobby Bonilla. And I had built a very good rapport with Bobby Bonilla because he was a rookie that year. And he had told me he had gone through something really personal that I, he asked me, he told me and, asked me to, you know, and I still won't say what it is. He, and, he, and he told me what it was. And, and I said to him, because he was struggling. And he had a new manager in Jim Fergosi. And, you know, he was, he was young. He, was, he goes, he's, I said, you got to tell management. You know, no, no. So they trade him. They traded him. And they never knew what he was dealing with personally. <laughs> and, you know, here the, the pirates come to town and, um, and we're standing behind the banding cage with him, and there's this scrawny guy standing next to him, and he and uh, he says, uh, "Barry, come over and meet Cheryl. I want you to meet a reporter that uh, treated me well, Barry Bonds. He introduced me to Barry Bonds. So by him getting traded away, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> well, it worked out nicely. For and you. Barry always gave me great one-on-one interviews. Hmm. I don't know why, <laughs> but 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 you know, Bobby just kind of you know. So there's been some bizarre situations with bad teams, but <laughs> a lot of times when there's a, there's a bad team, craziness comes out and some of the great stories come out too. Yeah. Yeah. What are your tips for me as I'm heading into, I don't even know what to call the Cubs, but they're trans- <laughs> they're retooling. Um, what's what- the best way to to uh, cover a potentially bad team? Yeah, it's it's boy, I've seen enough of that. But, you know, the, the thing is, you can figure out who is going to be part of the prosperity. I knew Anthony Rizzo was one, even though everything was exploding around him. And you you know, and, and so you, you, it's the hard part. And 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 the hard the hard part is. Nobody wants to lose. Who wants to lose? And you have to try to factor that in because when losing gets bad, it can, you know, you can really find out a lot about the person and, and, and it's hard. It's, it's not easy and it can be boring and you, you know, and you're trying to find some sort of way to keep the interest of your viewers, readers, listeners, and it's not easy. Um, I remember Jeff Torborg after a bad season he had, and then they had a great season. You know, they, they, they went through some runs and then they had a great season. And this was their la- the last year at Old Comiskey Park. And he called me in his office and he said, I want to thank you because you were there when we were bad. You were there when we sucked. And you, I, I, you know, and, and I said, well, because it's right. You know, the, when, when the White Sox would be good and the Cubs were bad, I still covered both. And vice versa, you still got to cover them, but it's not easy. It definitely is not easy. And and I think when you talk to them, the managers are the one that take, they take the toll. 
they take the losses, even though it's the front office making the decisions and, you know, and they say all the right things. Well, you know, this guy's our manager. Look what happened to Ricky Renteria one year. And Joe Madden comes along, which, you know, Joe Madden was, was a great choice, but it's still, you know, you still feel yucky you know, that that happens. But it is it, a matter of trying to find the guys who are potential leaders, potential, you know, the ones that are probably going to make it. And you got to feel for the ones that you know are just there, just to have a body. And that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. That's sad too for the players. Like, no, but you know, like, like with the White Sox during their, their rebuild, you could start feeling how things were getting better again, because I've been through this before. And so you, you've seen it. And, And when you talk to the players, you know, Tim Anderson, you know, you knew that he was, he was really part of this core, you know, um, it was tough watching with Carlos Rodan went with through with, with his Tommy John and everything like that. And then you see what he's having this year, you know, so it, it, it's fun. And, and, and I'll tell you this, one thing that Anthony Rizzo said to me when they won the world series, he said, you were again, like, you're, like Jeff Torberg said to me, you were there from the beginning. You didn't, you didn't bolt yeah. because players know, they know who is there and they know who is not. And they keep record. They do. <laughs> because in 2005, and I was covering the White Sox World Series. You know, I covered them through the season. And, and the White Sox do not get the coverage that the Cubs do. We right. know that. It's, it's not a secret. And that's when, you know, of course, as they're going to the postseason, that's when everybody comes out. And, like, the White Sox are starting to get some coverage that they hadn't had before. But Aaron Rowan, I went up to him to do a, you know, a, just before they were going to, I think, I think it, I don't think it was a World Series yet. I think it was like just going into the postseason. They had the clinch and everything, and I, I was doing a story with him. And he says, and some TV people were showing up, but other people, you know, national people were showing up. And they had asked him to do an interview, and he said no. And I and I and I looked at him. And he goes, he took me someplace. I was, he says, I'll talk to you away from everybody because I don't. He, and he said, I don't think it's fair that you've been here all season and they haven't. So. You know, that, that's what you have to do. You have, you have to invest the time in order for, to get that, what you really need in the long run. I know that's a long answer, but. <laughs> no, that was great. Uh, when, when you do look at, you know, that last World Series team for the White Sox and then this team now who's in their championship window, what similarities, differences do you see between those two? teams or those two, I guess, build-ups to a championship run, potential well, championship. Well, 2005, nobody was expecting it, except they were. And they made some great free agent signings like, like they did this time, the free agent signing of A.J. Pruszynski. That was a huge one. He was, and he just grabbed that team. But they're starting pitching. Watch, watching what they're starting pitching d- did then, the fact is, you know, you had the Burleys, you had the Contreras, you know, you, you had the John Garland, you know, you had that. And then you look with the White Sox now, starting pitching, you know, but, but this time it was done through a slow rebuild. And then they added, you know, a trade with Lance Lynn. They added signing Dallas Keiko, you know, doing that type of stuff. And the fact is there's many other teams that could have uh, signed Carlos Rodan and the White Sox were the only ones that did. So, you know, and the fact is the White Sox re-signed, they extended to me Lance Lynn's contract. Yeah, that bodes well for other free agents. They did sign the Asmani Grandal, you know. I mean, so when you do that type of stuff, 
it's not just for that player or your team. It's for the rest of the league to see, wow, they take care of him. Yeah, for him to sign at this point in the season, like he didn't have to do that. He could have played it out. I love his, he calls himself, he says, I'm a bad bastard. <laughs> and he calls himself, I'm an asshole. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Other your monikers. <laughs> yeah. No, it was definitely, I got my first taste of really those guys and those personalities over All Star. And that's a really fun group. And it actually, and it did start a couple of years ago when they, when they weren't, you know, they didn't have a good record, you know, in 2019 before the pandemic, you, you, you just felt, you know, like I've told you, you know, you, you kind of feel when things are going right mm-hmm. and, and the record isn't there, you know, you're not looking at the record, but you could see these pieces. And I don't mean to, you know, make them sound like they're material, but you could see these, you know, the, the, the parts of the puzzle for championship and you could see that and you could feel how engaging they are with each other. Because on a losing team, you will see this if we get in a locker room, you will see empty locker rooms mm-hmm. or one or two guys. And that's that's when you know it's bad. That's when you know it's really bad. That's why I like the old Wrigley Field clubhouse compared to the new one. Everyone, oh, it's great. For media, the old one was best because there wasn't many places to hide. That's <laughs> Yeah, these big new ones, there's just so many rooms that we don't have access to. And I, st- I, and I, and I still feel that they don't, they're, we're not going to be in the locker rooms. I just got that feeling that we're not going to because they can control the message easier this way. Yeah, I know. I, I'm hoping that we do. I think just for fans, I feel like fans misunderstand the importance of being in the locker room. It's not... Like, oh, we, we all want to be in their personal business. It's, it's being, a, being able to feel what it's like after a game, being able to grab guys. It's, it's a lot easier to find guys pregame and postgame when they're all in one place as opposed to running in from the field at the same time. So it's, it's about accountability and, you know, I, and I, under, I understand why some players might enjoy not having our presence in there because they do get to feel like that's their own space but I think that it's especially a sport like baseball where they're struggling to reach especially a younger audience that's you need that type of access and that type of accountability. And I think it'll hurt them in the long run if we are. Right. And, and they can't trust their social media people to get the, get the information out. I mean, that's, that's very, I mean, that's so, that's, that's so innocuous. It's just so small potatoes as far as what they need. You know, the, the, when I was thinking about this, um, I wish that every manager did what Jim Riggleman used to do. He was with the, with the Cubs. He never did his post game in his office. He did it in the locker room. And, and see that type of stuff, I think, you know, is great because the players could hear what we asked and what was asked of them. So, you know, nothing was lost in the translation. Yeah. And that type of stuff, the locker room allows you to, you know, get that information. And so I'm, I'm bringing that up because, 
you know, you, you have that type of instance. And then when you don't have any type of access to the locker room, you don't have these players to talk to or to find out, we're all getting the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing somebody on screen, it's not the same as seeing them face to face when you, when you could talk to them and, and, uh, and look in their eyes. Cause I can see a lot by looking in somebody's eyes, how they feel or what's going through their minds or what they wanted. Sometimes they want to say more. Mm-hmm. But you have to feel it to ask them. Yeah. And I mean, it, I think is beneficial for the players too, to be able to have that line of communication because you, we know that clubs do, we know that the league does. And so if players are going to be able to get their own voices out and not just, there's some things that you can't say over social media that you don't want your name attached to, but you need to have those, you know, behind closed doors off the record conversations in order to have a full picture so that it's not just the league and the clubs controlling the message. And also that they could correct, mm-hmm. you know, something that's totally wrong because probably if you go back and forth on social media, it's yes. Right. You know, it's much better to do it through an accredited media person, not a blogger, not a podcaster. I mean, take no, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about you, but you know, I'm talking about talking about somebody that just, you know, doesn't have an affiliation and doesn't understand the journalistic things you have to do in order to do it right, in order to be fair. And that people aren't fair enough. You got to be fair. And, and as long as you're telling the truth and you get the truth from the person you're talking to, or you hope you are, mm-hmm. um, that creates a better story and also pe- creates a better understanding between the fan and the player. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important. It works out for everyone, right? Even if, even if, I mean, not for the people who are on the wrong side of the truth, but I think we, we should all want that. Well, the, the other thing is I, I always look at also our job. We're also the consumer reporter for the person paying for the ticket. If you only get your information from the team or the organization, then you're not getting the full story. And that's where we are important to bridge that gap so that the fan knows what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And there are discerning fans who don't want just PR, you know, spewed at them all the time. <laughs> who are looking for that meteor stuff. And yeah, the best way. Yeah, we, 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 they, you know, they don't want the Clark, the Bear, or South Paul to be the, the spokespeople <laughs> for the team. <laughs> Clark's their their go-to source. He still needs pants. He really does. I don't know how that (laughs) happened yet. Oh gosh. Uh, Any final final thoughts or final stories before we? Oh, I've got stories. (laughs) I'll I'll give I'll give you a story with Jim Fry. This is a good one. He was general manager at the time with the Cubs. This was 1990. They had moved the winter meetings to Rosemont. And myself and a couple of uh, print reporters, there was only a few of us, was able to find George Hendricks. He was the agent for George Bell. And he tells us, we just made a deal with the Cubs. He's going to be signing with the Cubs. Wow, that's great. I mean, you get a story right from the agent. So 
in this hotel in Rosemont, you could see the elevator, you could see Jim Fry, and our manager coming down. So myself and the other, I think there was three of us all told, we find Jim. Jim, just uh, understand that you signed George Bell to be on your team. This is what he said. He goes, you guys are nothing but pimps and whores. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I said? Thank well you. Yeah, there's always something. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I think, oh, did, did you have anything else to say? Well, and George was a real difficult person with the Cubs. Just really, really difficult. He was traded to the White Sox for Sammy Sosa. So, and he was really a jerk, I'll tell you, with the Cubs. So I, I had good relationship with Lance uh, Johnson and with Tim Raines and a couple of those guys. And that's where his locker was by. And I just kept ignoring him. And so, you know, I talked. And so one day we go up to what's the matter? You won't talk to me. I said, because you were an asshole when you were with the Cubs. <laughs> and, he, and the other players are like, look at him. And I, and I said, and he said, I was? I go, yeah, you, you were really difficult. From that point on, he was nice to me and always gave me an interview. Well, there you go. So sometimes you just have to call them out with their asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, people can tell when you're bullshitting them. Sometimes, especially athletes, love a show. Sorry, steered this into a you know profane. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was the perfect note to end this on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cheryl, for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Mandy. It was a pleasure. I'm going to take this moment to say I told you so because that was awesome. I was cracking up the whole time recording this with Cheryl. I had so much fun. I hope you did too. And as I promised at the beginning of this, we'll definitely have her on again at some point and draw out more of those wonderful anecdotes. So Thank you all for tuning in to this edition of More Than a White Man's Game. Again, it's a baseball podcast, as you guys know, on the House of L Network. Thank you to Lawrence Holmes, our wonderful producer, and the man who created this network in the first place. Thank you to you all for listening. Like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the things. Feel free to... Hit me up on Twitter, Maddie underscore M underscore Lee, and we'll see you next time. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. 
Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.